If you have your Bibles, please turn to Psalm 34. Psalm 34. And the, uh, the setup and teardown guys were telling me this is the church with the air conditioning on right now. They were saying that this morning it was even hotter and just sweating through their clothes as they were setting up. So if you're, if you're on setup and teardown, we are so thankful to God for you guys and, and, the, and the way you serve every, every week. So Psalm 34, if you are visiting with us, uh, you've joined us in the middle of our summer series, which is on the topic of gospel community. And we've entitled this series Together. Together. And this morning we're going to look at the, the specific topic of exalting Christ together. Exalting Christ together. Last week we studied Acts chapter 2 verses 42 to 47, which is one of the clearest passages in the New Testament on what the local church is to look like in its participation with one another. And in it, one of the things we uh, see there in that passage is that we get to day by day praise the Lord together. We're talking about worship this morning. And worshiping our Lord is something the church both gets to do and is called to do. It's something we get to do and are called to do. And to help us grow in our understanding and application of worship, we're going to spend our time looking at the first eight verses of Psalm 34. And if I could sum up what it means to exalt Christ together, this would be my attempt The people of God are called to exalt and worship God together for God's glory and the spiritual health of both the individual Christian and church as a whole. The people of God are called to exalt and worship God together for God's glory and the spiritual health of both the individual Christian and the church as a whole. So let's read first eight verses of Psalm 34, this is the perfect word of God. It says, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord and he answered me. And delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant and their faces shall never be ashamed. This poor man cried and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Lord, we pray that we would taste and see this morning that you are good. That we would remember who you are, what you've done, what you've promised to do, and that for every Christian here, our hearts would respond in fresh gratitude, fresh amazement, Lord. And we pray for any unbeliever in this room that you would reveal yourself to them this morning, that you would show them 
who you are and what you've done, that they might have genuine hope this morning. That, that whatever they're pursuing right now, whatever they're going after for satisfaction, that you would in your love show that thing to be worthless and to show you, to show yourself as the all-satisfying treasure we were created to enjoy. We pray for this in Jesus' name. Amen. So three points this morning, the first being we are to be a continually grateful people. Point number one, a continually grateful people. Psalm 34 is a psalm of gratitude to God. David is the author and he begins by declaring to God and to us that he will bless the Lord at all times. His praise of God shall continually be in his mouth. Not just in his heart, on his mouth. To bless the Lord means to proclaim our love. And to express our thanksgiving for who he is and what he's done. David makes clear that his intent, because God is worthy of it, is to do so not just on Sunday mornings, not just at care group, not just at youth group, or just in the good times, but at all times. He says, God's praise shall continually be in my mouth. We see this call to continuous gratitude in the New Testament as well. 1 Thessalonians 5.18, give thanks in all. All circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ for you. Ephesians 5.20 Giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. In all circumstances, always, for everything. God's word often uh, doesn't allow us to say, but what about this or what about this? No, in, in all things... We are to give thanks. And Charles Spurgeon, writing about this reality, says the following. This means we seek to express our gratitude to God in every situation, in every circumstance, before, in, and after every trial, in bright days of glee and dark nights of fear. To exalt Christ together means, in part, To do so continually in every season, on the happiest days and on the darkest days, because God is always worthy of it. Our circumstances change. The God of our circumstances does not. God's people are to look very different than the culture around us. Instead of being quick to complain, quick to anger, quick to bitterness, quick to slander, quick to gossip, quick to obscene talk, we are to be quick to praise our Lord. We are to be quick to express gratitude to God, continually seeking to be on the lookout of where can I thank God right now. Now, this doesn't mean we don't share our sorrows, right? If you've read the Psalms, you know David expresses his pain. He expresses his sorrow. He he shares about how things are hard. We're not saying you don't express the pain of life, but it doesn't, as a believer, um, tempt you to go inward, but, but to go upward. 
David, as he shares the Psalms, often, not always, but often ends by going up towards God. And so as Christians, we're to be different than the world and being together in worshiping God as people see us together or they hear us together or apart Our words should sound different to them. And one of the ways they sound different is that we are continually expressing our gratefulness and our gratitude to God. And it's an area I need to grow in. I want to grow in. I need to grow in. It's not surprising to me at this point that when I am about to preach a message, when CB says, hey, I want to prepare this, uh, or here's a topic, I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm now, um, confident is an area I'm weak and that God wants to help me to grow in. And so it's just not surprising to me that just a few weeks ago, I think two weeks ago, I had breakfast with a couple of my friends and we're talking and I'm talking and I just start, I just start to complain about a situation. And it, it just started going. I just, I just started complaining about uh, a, a current situation in my life and I'm driving home thinking, what was that? I mean, where, where did that come from? That wasn't, that wasn't Psalm 34. I realize if God is good and sovereign, then his plans are best. And I think sometimes when we're complaining, even as Christians, we think we're complaining about the circumstance. You're never complaining just about the circumstance. You're, you're complaining about God. If we believe God is sovereign and good, then when I'm complaining, not, not sharing my heart, not saying, hey, this is a struggle. I wasn't doing that. I wasn't walking in the light. I was, I was complaining that ultimately my complaint is about God himself. So I had to get back to those guys and say, hey, I'm sorry for my heart. I'm sorry what came out there. I shouldn't have a complaining spirit. I want to I honor God with my words. So it's something I want to grow in and, and need to grow in because God's people, when they are together and when they're talking to one another and when they're talking to the lost, people should detect a joy and a gratitude that they don't experience from unbelievers. And I imagine if you're, you're not a Christian here this morning, this, this, sound, this sounds like foolishness from David. Praise God at all times. So praise him in the midst of suffering, loss, pain, trial. Really? Yes, really. And the reason David desires to do so by God's grace and why we as fellow believers desire to do so by God's grace is because God has revealed himself to us and God is good. God is good in the deepest, most perfect sense of the word good. And through saving us and giving us his word, we know who he is. Believer, you know who God is this morning. You know what he's done. You know what he promises to do. And that self-disclosure by God should produce in us gratitude amazement, passion, worship. Look at verse 2. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. In the Bible, soul is often the seat of affection. It's the way we talk about the heart. My my soul, my heart, it, it makes its boast in the Lord. David's suffering, trial, pain, and loss is well documented in the Old Testament. And yet his soul makes its boast in the Lord because he knows the greatness of his Lord. 
his hope, David's hope, his confidence, his trust, his joy in this life. Yes, even in those times of of suffering, it wasn't in himself. It wasn't in his current circumstances. It wasn't in his feelings. It's in the Lord. His boast is in the Lord. And he desires to praise the Lord continually. Because the Lord was his refuge, his treasure, his everything. Brothers and sisters, may our boast this morning be in Christ alone for the same reason. Worshiping and exalting Christ does not start with music, doesn't start with instruments, doesn't start on being here on Sundays at 10 o'clock. It doesn't even start with our feelings. It's not, do I want to worship God right now? It starts first with the truth. Worship starts with the truth of who God is in His character, the truth truth of God's action towards sinners like us, and the truth of where all this is headed in His sovereign will. David knew God, and it produced worship. The same should be said for you and I. If you're a believer, you know God. And as we fix our eyes on God, it should produce gratitude. It should produce worship. Whatever season of life we're in. I thank God for our worship team. I thank God for our worship leaders. I thank God that He has given those gifts to those people. They are a blessing to our church. But we are not going to be a Christ-exalting church to the degree that we have a sweet band. right? There, there are churches that maybe have better sound systems and smoke machines and better acoustics or you know, uh, more people on their team. I was in a church one time and the worship was very genuine, but it was like world-class musicians. Christ-exalting worship is based on the degree that we as a church are amazed by Christ. There are weeks when we have a full band. There are weeks when there's like two people up here. Worship's not dependent on the people up here. Worship is dependent on our amazement of Christ, our knowledge of Christ. I had a brother recently on Facebook say that their, all their electricity went out the, the, like 10 minutes before worship. They couldn't plug anything in. And so the lead... Worship leader gets up and they just sung to the Lord acoustically. And he said it was one of the greatest Sundays he's ever experienced. Because it's not about the music. Now, again, grateful for the instruments. God says, pick up the instruments and use them to play. Our hearts, are we amazed by Christ? Do we know Christ? Are we amazed by who he is and what he's done and what he promises to do? Do you want to grow in your passion for Christ this morning? Do you want to have a heart like David, which desires to bless the Lord at all times, and a soul that makes its boast in Christ alone? Do do we want to continue to grow in being a Christ-exalting church? If so, praise God. If you're here this morning and you would say, that's right where I am. I'm not amazed. I'm not affected. It's tearing me up. I feel overwhelmed, or maybe I feel condemned. One, just... Take heart that you even care. 
That you want to grow more passionate. That the desire alone is showing that God is already at work in you. Do you want to grow in those things? Do not start by looking inward. Don't start by trying to muster it up in your own strength. Look to God himself. Listen to this quote by R.C. Sproul in which he highlights how the study of theology, when rightly done, will lead to doxology. So theology is the study of God. Doxology is is the worship of God. Theology should lead to doxology. He says, For the soul of a person to be inflamed with passion for the living God, that person's mind must first be informed about the character and will of God. There can be nothing in the heart that is not first in the mind. Though it is possible to have a theology on the head without its piercing the soul, it cannot pierce the soul without first being grasped by the mind. Amen. We must know God if we are to be amazed by God. Church, this is yet another reason why we are so desirous as your pastors, and I I know I speak for the care group leaders, that, that we as a church be men and women of the word. To be men and women who read God's word, meditate on God's word, memorize God's word, apply it. As we saturate ourselves with the word, we will grow in our understanding of God's attributes. God's attributes are just another way of saying His character, who He is. As we saturate ourselves in the Word, we will come face to face with His actions. As we come to God's Word, we come face to face with His promises. You can't like turn on the news without another story of something going crazy out there. If you don't know the promises of God, if you don't know where all of this is headed, it could bring great fear to you. But when you know the promises of God, you recognize God's not twilling his thumbs right now, really fearful of what's happening. God says this is exactly what's going to happen. And there's promises that he gives to his people in the midst of it. As we saturate ourselves in the word, that will be the fuel by God's grace and spirit that drives our amazement, drives our passion for our Lord and Savior. Church, I don't know how to give a message on worship without talking about the Word. It's not like I'm trying to get to the Word and how do I do that. If you don't know God, how could you be amazed by Him? It's my joy to be completely repetitive to our teens. It's one of the roles I get to serve in. And if a teen is not often in the word and he says to me, God feels distant and I don't feel anything towards him, I'm not surprised. You can't kind of muster it up in your own feelings. It's not about being around other Christians. As we're in the word, as we're in relationship with the Lord, that's where the fuel and the fire comes from. As a spirit walks with us as we read, as we apply, as we go to him. Let me just break this very briefly down. His attributes, his actions, his promises. So we're still in point one. His, his, his attributes, his actions, his promises. As Christians, as we continue day by day in understanding who God is, so his attributes, as we consider, and this is no by no means exhaustive, as we consider God's perfect love, his perfect holiness, his amazing grace, his endless 
faithfulness, his awesome power, his full knowledge of everything, his ability to be everywhere all the time. How will we not grow in our passion as we consider how great he is and how much greater he is than us? In trial, you need to know God is bigger than you. In trial, you need to know this is the God I serve. This is what he's like. And to be able to recount to yourself his attributes. And then secondly, his actions, what he's already done. As Christians, as we grow day by day in remembering the past, God's action in chasing down lost rebels like us. Sending his son to live a perfect life and die on the cross for our sins and defeat death. And as we sung this morning, raised to new life right now, standing in victory. How will we not grow in our passion as we consider I was dead and now I'm alive. I was his enemy and now I'm his son or daughter. And that's because what he did. Look at verses four and six of Psalm 34. David roots his passion for God in God's actions. Verse 4, I sought the Lord and He answered me and delivered me from all my fears. Verse 6, he's talking about himself. This poor man cried and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. Do you recount your testimony to yourself? Your testimony is not just for other people. Your testimony is to testify to you. Think about where you were. I just vividly remember being in high school, not amazed by Christ and pleading with God that I would be amazed. And here I stand this morning, not because I'm preaching right now. Here I stand this morning because verse 4 and 6 are true over my life. I cried out, God, I got to the end of myself and trying to do it in my own strength, trying to muster up the passion from inside. God revealing to me that I was a moralist, that I thought I was better than other people. I've shared it so many other times before, thinking that I kind of climbed the ladder to God and I couldn't finish it off. And God grabbed me and reached over and, and God's blowing that whole idea apart. And him showing me that I was running the wrong direction. That, that is God in my life in verse 4 and 6. Where, where, is, where is your story in verse 4 and 6? And do you recount that to yourself? If you are a Christian, if you're not amazed that you're a Christian, going to God and asking, God, give me fresh passion, fresh amazement. And then finally, His promises for the future. As Christians, as we grow day by day in pondering the promises of God, God promises to work all things together for good in the the follower of Christ's life. Romans 8.28 is true. Do you recount that to yourself even when you can't see it? Do you believe it? Yes, even in suffering, even in loss, even in trial, God is working together all things for good in your life, believer. God promises to never leave us or forsake us. And then verse 7. Church, whenever I get to preach, whether it's youth group or here on Sunday morning, there's always a word that affects me in a way I wasn't expecting. Verse 7 is the word for this message. Look at verse 7. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. The angel of the Lord encamps. 
In camps does not mean that the Lord and the angels are nearby you this morning. It's not like, you know, so we'll go to the pool and I, I don't know how the Madisons do it because with four I can feel overwhelmed and so I'm constantly just counting children, right? Okay, Anderson, Madeline, Catherine, Selah. Anderson, Madeline, Selah, Catherine. Okay, we're Selah, right? You know, so I've lost one. i got to find that one. And camps is not like me at the pool where, okay, I'm here, I'm close. If you need me, you've got me. In camps is God encircles you. God is around you on every single side. There's no back door when it comes to God and you. Church, think about that. God encamps around you on every side. Anything as far as trial, suffering, loss that's getting in is not because God didn't see it because his back was turned. It's not that he was close to you, but he wasn't close enough. The Lord and his angels encamp around you, which means if there is suffering, if there is loss, there is trial, it's there for your good and his glory. And we might not know why and what that looks like on this side of heaven. But God protects you on every side. God encamps around you on every side. And He promises that one day He will bring sin and Satan to an end. He is coming back. I think the events of these last weeks have caused Christians to recognize the reality of gospel advancement and how bad this world needs to hear about Jesus. But I think it also encourages our hearts that this will not be the way it always is. Christ is going to return. And we are going to see him face to face. That day will be as real as this one. And so we long for that day. We hope for that day. And as we think about that day, and we think about the fact that God encamps around us, it is right for us to worship. It is right for us to express gratitude. Christ community, the reality is if you and I look inward for our passion for Christ, seeking to muster it in our own efforts, it will be at best weak and short-lived. But if you look upward again and again and again to God, calling out to Him in prayer, listening to Him in prayer, going to the Word, God will start a fire by His grace and Spirit that no man will be able to put out. Verse 2 ends by stating, let the humble hear and be glad. The humble in this verse are the people of God. Genuine believers want to worship their Savior. Not, Not perfectly. Obviously, we're imperfect. Obviously, we are tempted towards other idols and tempted to worship you know, what he created and not the creator. But, but for a Christian, there is a genuine desire to want to worship the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. David is saying, let us worship the Lord. And he's saying, the people of God, may they hear that. May they hear about the Lord and be glad to praise his name, to express our love and thanksgiving to him. If when you read the Bible and you're all alone and there's just this, oh God, I am so grateful for you. I am so thankful to know you and to be saved by you and to walk with you. When you're together with the people of God and there's just this in your, in your soul, just this, I love God. I'm so imperfect at it, but I love God. I want to, I want to live for God. 
God wants to encourage you this morning. That is evidence of your salvation. That is evidence that he is at work in your life. And in the same way, if there's just nothing, there's no desire to praise God, you're just going through the motions, you're doing it because your parents want you to do it, or culture wants you to do it, or you know that your kids are coming downstairs soon, so well, I, should look, I should look like I'm doing something besides being on my phone right now. And you know, it's just for everybody else, you need to examine whether you're in the faith. And that's not salvation through worship. It's, again, the product of it. The sons and daughters of God in heaven are not going to, I really don't want to worship you today, Lord. No, in heaven, it will be a, our joy to do so. And so we should see the fruit of that, the imperfect fruit, but the fruit of that here. Point number two, let us exalt his name together. Let us exalt his name together. Look at verse 3. Oh, magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. As CB has been sharing over the last couple of weeks in this series, God saves us as individuals, but he never leaves us on our own. He adds us into the family of God, the body of Christ, for his glory and our good. And one of the many gifts in being in this body is that we get to worship God together. God is incredibly loving, and one of the ways we see his love towards us is that even when we're doing things directed towards him, we still benefit. Think about that. God is so loving that even when we're doing things he calls us to do, we're still being blessed and benefit. And I want to just kind of say it this way. There's a vertical component, and there's a horizontal component to worship. There's a vertical component and a horizontal component to worship. The, the vertical component we, we've already talked about. Worship is firstly and most importantly towards God. We are expressing our gratitude and amazement to Him. We are communicating to Him. God doesn't need our praise, but He deserves our praise because of who He is and what He's done. When you pray, God hears you. As a believer, when you worship God, he receives that worship. But there's also a horizontal direction to worship. God uses his people to encourage one another as they exalt him together. Okay, so what I mean by horizontal is that when we are worshiping God together, we all benefit. We are encouraged. We see throughout the Old and New Testament, God's people to gather together, and they sing to the Lord. Yes, to magnify Father, Son, Holy Spirit, but also to remind one another and to encourage one another and by God's grace, uh, grow in fresh amazement. I, I don't know about you, I don't always come into this room on Sunday perfectly trusting God. I don't always come into this room on Sundays full of joy. You know, over the years, I've walked into this room Fearful, sad, hurt, hopeless, feeling relationally distant from the Lord. If your thought is as pastors, we just walk in, let's praise Jesus this morning, I got no problems, let's do this. That's not my reality. I'm pretty sure it's not CB and John's reality. And yet I've lost track now over the last years in counting how many times my soul has been uplifted as you all sing the truth of God. I come in here fearful. I come in here sad. I come in here hurt. I come in here uh, just hopeless for di different situations. And as you all 
sing about our Lord as you sing about who He is and what He's done and what He has promised to do by the Holy Spirit, I have been uplifted in my soul over and over again. In a sense, we sing to the Lord primarily, but we sing to one another. Ephesians 5:18b to 20 is a great example of how the vertical and the horizontal happen often at the same time. It says, but be filled with the Spirit addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father. Isn't that interesting? I mean, I think a lot of us maybe have heard that, you know, those verses many times over the years. What it's saying is we're singing to the Lord. First and foremost, the psalms and the hymns are directed to God, and yet... We are addressing one another. Fresh gratitude is produced and we can give thanks always and for everything to our Lord and Savior. Colossians 3.16 states in a similar way, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing, psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, with thanksgiving in your heart to God. I think this is me, maybe this isn't you, uh, Colossians 3.16, when I think about this passage and admonishing one another, I think about letting the word dwell in us richly. And I think that's right. Preaching, preaching admonishes, preaching encourages, preaching convicts, and all of that's true. But in that passage, admonishing one another in all wisdom, and then it goes to the singing. It goes to the worship. In a sense, yeah, okay, I'm preaching right now. You all were preaching to one another earlier. And we continue to preach to each other throughout the week. Admonish means to warn or remind. Oh, church, how many times in trial do you and I need to be warned, to be reminded? In caring for people, Christ community people, believers, I rarely have to share new things to them. So often, my counsel, my encouragement is to remember who God is. It's for them to remember what they already know. And, and when we sing to one another, when we worship with one another, we are reminding each other. We are admonishing one another. Church, these verses need to give us a vision for the part we all play in Christ Community Church together as we exalt Christ. We live in a consumer culture. And we ourselves are selfish. That's not a good recipe. We live in a consumer culture, just by our own flesh we are self-centered, I am self-centered, and the temptation is to view probably all of Sunday morning as something just to consume, but maybe even more so with worship to see it, if I could be a little crass, as the opening act. Yeah, they, they sing for a little bit, and then they do some announcements, and then we kind of get down to business with the Word. That's not the way God views worship. May you and I not view worship as something done by others. The worship team leads us. They're not doing worship. We, as the church, worship. And I really believe, biblically, it's right for all of us to believe we're on the worship team. These people lead us. There's one singer in particular I'm personally very fond of. But we're all on the worship team. We all come together to sing to our Lord together. Yes, God gives certain gifts, but we're all called to be active participants. I, I love 
the noise in this room before Sunday morning. I, I love the conversation. I love the fellowship. I think it's very God-honoring. I, I remember growing up, there being solemnity before the service. People sitting down and, and, and considering preparing their hearts for worship. And I, and, I, and I believe we can do both. I don't think it's either you should be quiet before the service or you should talk before service because we're called to do both. We're called to prepare our hearts for worship and we're called to fellowship. It's both and. Do you come to church and be with the church on Sunday saying, I'm called to be an active participant in reminding my brothers and sisters about Christ, who He is, what he's done, what he promises to do. I think that's one of our big burdens for this series, that it's not Ben and CB and John or the care group leaders or, or anybody else, like just us all owning it. And obviously, as we continue here, knowing that worship on a Sunday morning is just one small aspect of what worship is. Worship is not just when we sing. Worship is all of life. Worship is when you are getting coffee with a friend, when you're texting with a friend, when you're around the dinner table, when you're at care group. Just that day by day, Acts 2, day by day. The point there is just in all these different ways they were in community. Community is not just Sunday morning. It's certainly not just Sunday morning and care group. We constantly say Sunday morning and care group are to be a springboard for all of life. Day by day, in lots of small and big moments, we are seeking to magnify Christ together. Worship can take place on Facebook and on text and on the phone and face to face, just talking about who God is. Are you a person that you're just constantly, not, not, in, a, not in a weird way, not in a kind of trying to look like a certain person, just in your heart, you share with people, man, God was just so good in this situation today. Just the way I saw his love, the way I saw his faithfulness, the way I saw his patience, the way I saw his power. Are you on the lookout for that? And then expressing that to one another. Dads, do your kids hear you proclaiming Christ at the dinner table, not just you know in devotions, but just in all of life. Guys, you, you wouldn't believe this. You wouldn't believe how God moved today. And maybe it was something really small. Like on the way here, I was driving and there was a woman and she had left a, a gallon of water on the back of her pickup truck, which I had a lot of grace for her because I constantly leave sodas on the top of my car. And my children love to remind me about all the times I've done that. And there was a time where these people are like pointing and waving. I'm like, hey, how's it going? Yeah, you're friendly. And then we see the you know, the soda go across the, the, the front of the car. Oh, that's why they were pointing. And so I was trailing behind her. She moved. The gallon fell off. And I think if it would have come towards me, that probably wouldn't have been the best situation. And it went off to the right, hit the wall, and just stayed there. I want to share with my children, guys, God, I think he protected the car today or protected me. I, I don't know what could have happened. But that gallon went that way instead of this way. Or to talk about, hey guys, I was really in a bad mood today and God just gave me grace. He was patient with me. Do you have those moments as a family? Do you have those moments with your friends? Is it something you're seeking to do? Because in our flesh, we're going to be prone to complain, aren't we? We're going to be prone to, where is God not doing me right? Instead of, oh no, we have 10,000 reasons to be grateful to the Lord. Hebrews 10, 23 to 25 talks about 
the call. This is a command by God. This is not something that some of us are called to do. This is something, if you're a Christian, you're, we're all called to do. And it says, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir one another up. Not consider if you want to stir one another up. Consider how we might stir one another up to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. We're all called to worship the Lord together, to stir one another up. More and more. This isn't, I mean, you know, I mean, I don't know if you know. There's a temptation people have when they look at Acts to say, well, that was Acts. That was a long time ago. That was right after Pentecost. We, we can't expect those things to happen now. Uh, Hebrews 10 does. Hebrews 10 says all the more. All the more is the day is drawing near. Yes, we see sin continue to rear its ugly head in this world, but we see the gospel advancing and the light getting brighter and more people getting saved. The Bible doesn't tell me to look at Acts and I wish I wish I lived back then. I just would have lived at Pentecost. That really would have been awesome. No. Same Christ is ruling and reigning. Same Holy Spirit is in our hearts. This is the body of Christ just as much as Acts was the body of Christ. May we get to stir one another up. And look, look at verse 5. I love what it says. Those who look to him are radiant. Those who look to him. That right there is the call of the Christian and that is the call of the church. Look to him. Look to him. Look to him. If, if all your counsel ever is to somebody, look to him and remember the gospel. That's great counsel. Look to Jesus. Look to Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Look to him. Remember him. Remember his attributes. Remember his actions. Remember his promises. I, I think by I've read C.B. Wright, uh, it's a requirement to have a band of brothers illustration in every sermon in the Together series. And so uh, I will uh, obey C.B. in that right now. <laughs> I love it. I love it as well. I love it. I could, I could, there are certain shows I could just keep watching. Uh, and Band of Brothers is one of those uh, HBO miniseries. One of my guys, I think everybody who watches Band of Brothers has certain guys. And they're like, they're, that's your guy. Lipton is my guy. Lipton was never the guy in charge. He was never the leader. He he was uh, he was in charge to a degree. He was uh, called to serve the leaders and serve the troops. And and so there was just this deference in him. There was a humility in him. He he never vied for more than he should have. He he did get promoted, I believe, but it was never in his own doing. And one of the scenes I love the most is. Uh, when they were in Bastogne, so CB talked about this during the, the Battle of the Bulge, they're just in these foxholes, and it's horrible. It's cold, they're getting, you know, they're getting bombed on. You, you think about living in a foxhole, those are not good conditions. And Lipton is not just concerned about himself. He's not just thinking, well, I got my foxhole, I'm doing fine, I'm safe right now. He got out of his foxhole in the midst of, of bombing raids, and he jumped down into the other foxholes and asked the other guys, how are you doing? He would seek to, to get their spirits up. He would seek to encourage them. He would actually even seek to encourage them in the leadership. He, you know, guys would sometimes say, you know what, you should be the guy. And he said, no, 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 I'm not the guy. 
We're in this together. We're on mission together. And Lipton would just jump out of the one foxhole, run across during the bombings, jump into the next foxhole. We're all called to be Liptons. We're all called to be men who are not just concerned about ourselves, but men and women who consider others. How's that brother? How's that sister? And that's worship. Talking about the Lord, talking about what He's done. Reminding each other of our Savior. Reminding each other of where all of this is headed. And briefly, the last point, to to exalt Christ together is to enjoy Christ together. To exalt Christ together is to enjoy Christ together. Look at verse 8 with me, please. The psalm ends, or our section of the psalm ends, by reminding us that our worship of God is not simply a command to be obeyed, but a blessing to be enjoyed. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Do you know that the Lord is good this morning, believer? Have you tasted and seen that the Lord is good? The Christian life is not simply academic acknowledgement concerning the facts about God. Yes, it's knowing about God, but it's more than that. It's not, not just facts about God, it's relationship with God. Are you in a relationship with God? Are you walking with Him? Do you abide in Him? Magnifying Christ is both declaring truth about Him and rejoicing in that truth. Bob Coughlin states, we're not simply reciting facts about God like a student reciting multiplication facts. We are expressing our holy affection in the one who has saved us and is in relationship with us. Philippians 4.4, 4, rejoice, rejoice, church, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Psalm 34.8 is teaching us that we aren't simply called to know about God, but to enjoy God, to be in Relationship with God. Think about this in regards to your spouse or your children or your friends. If, if you asked me this morning, you know, how are you and Anderson? How, how are you and your son doing? And I said, oh, we're doing great. I know his name. I know his eye color. I know his home address. And I know some of his hobbies. You might respond, okay. It's not bad. It's not bad. You know those things. That's good. So, you know, you're really growing relationally with him. Oh, no. We rarely talk. Uh, we rarely hang out. But are you impressed by how many facts I know about him? No, you would go from encouraged to concerned, right? Or flip that illustration around. If Anderson knew I was his dad and he knew facts about me, like he saw me in the room, okay, that guy is 5'10", he is still celebrating the Cavs championship, he sometimes plays video games, saying that he's trying to care for the kids, but really he just wants to play video games. Like, if he sees me in the room and says, I know about that guy, but he never is around me, like he never is on my lap, we're never playing together, we're not talking, that's not a relationship, right? That, that's just you knowing things about someone. Church, verse 8 highlights an incredible reality. God wants you not just to know facts about him, but to know Him, to be in relationship with Him. To to talk out this life together with Him. 
Not because he needs you, but because you need him. And you were created to find your highest joy and treasure in him. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Those who look to him are radiant and their faces shall never be ashamed. God is awesome in every way. No one is greater. No one is better. No one is more all satisfying in saving us than God. God is all satisfying in himself and in in saving us. We have become in relationship with us. This morning, do you know God? Do you know facts about God? Or are you in relationship with God? Have you repented of your sin? Have you trusted in him as Lord and Savior? Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Have you done that this morning? There will be people where Jesus says to them, on the last day, I never knew you. And he's talking relationally. It's God. He knows them. And those people might have even known him factually. They, They weren't in relationship. Are you in relationship with the Lord? If so, taste and see this morning that the Lord is good. In worship, we taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in Him. In the midst of current events that are concerning, may we freshly find our refuge in Christ. May we as Christians get louder, not quieter. May we exalt Christ. May we magnify Christ. No matter what comes of it, we we go out loud. We go out loud singing about God. We go out loud saying, God is my boast. I am not embarrassed of my Savior. I am not embarrassed by the one who saved me and who has got me, and will not let me go. We want to speak truth and love. And we want to do so boldly. Let us pray. Oh Lord, how can we thank you enough for the blessing of getting to exalt your name, to magnify your name, and for us to be able to do that together. Oh Lord, it is a joy when we are by ourselves to talk with you and to listen to you in your word and to be cared for by you. But Lord, we also see the blessing of us doing it together. As we get to remind one another, as we get to remind um, each other, and as we see your grace in each other's lives, as we see your power in each other's lives in the way that encourages us and stirs us up. Lord, I pray for our church that you would give us fresh vision to serve and love one another, that we would all see ourselves as active participants in one another's lives. That we would all be Liptons, Lord, jumping out of our foxhole and jumping into other people's foxhole to encourage them and care for them, Lord. And and we pray most importantly, Lord, that you would be glorified. That your name on this earth would be glorified. That you would be praised. And as we praise you, as we sing about you, as we talk about you, unbelievers would hear something different. And that we would get to tell them about the Savior and that they would be saved and join us in the praise of your name. We pray for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Church, I hope you have a wonderful day.